Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is a reading of God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you again. We praise you, and we worship you. It's always a blessing remembering how a full year has passed, how seeing how faithful you have been to us. It's also exciting thinking about what you have in store for us in the new year, again, knowing you continue to be with us, that you love us. And Father, today as we delve into this passage, we pray that you would again show us more of who you are, that we would know you more, but also that you will remind us of who we are, our sinfulness, our weakness, but also the love that your people have received because of the work of Christ. And we pray that again today, we will truly respond with awe of you, with reverence for you, with worship to you. We pray that you would bless us today through your word. And that again, we would be truly grateful as we look to you. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as he, Pastor Francis and I were talking about uh, just kind of the way our sermons were going to go at the end of the year, and I realized I was going to have the privilege of the last sermon of 2023, I was thinking, well, what do I, what do I talk about? Because I knew, obviously, the weeks leading up to this week would all be kind of Christmassy-themed sermons, right? So I knew this message today would be, you know, kind of a one-off, something that's going to be different from the previous messages and thinking about the new year. And I remember thinking, well, I know that the vision for next year we're saying is to, to know Christ, to be known by him. And this passage seems very appropriate as you think about what it took for us to be known by Christ, what it means for us to know him, his love, his goodness, his sacrifice, and how it really affects the way we live. And so I picked this passage, fairly well-known passage here in Ephesians 5, and you know, I titled it to walk in love because obviously the passage is about walking in love. And that might sound like something that's very familiar, but I'm hoping that as we think about this passage today, that it will be something that really convicts us and encourages us and really blesses us. Now, as I was studying for this passage, I read a story about a pastor who was actually preaching from this passage, and he titled the sermon, The Smell of Jesus. And then his church they used to have a church building with a sign right outside the church, and during the week, they would put up, you know, the Sunday sermon ahead of time so people could see it, and it said the smell of Jesus. So his wife, they were driving by the sign. His wife looks at him and said, honey, change the title. He said, why? She said, the smell of Jesus? You should title it the fragrance of Christ, right? The aroma of our Savior, that the smell of Jesus, that sounds like socks, right? So smell, it doesn't sound right. And then he chuckled, right? And he looks at her and said, honey, I'm not going to change the title because if people care half as much as you do about this title, we'll have a full house on Sunday, right? So he wanted to keep it. But her point is well taken. You know, when we think about this, a smell, typically we think of something that smells bad or maybe something that has a unique smell, we don't necessarily think of something good. And when you hear the word fragrance, 
obviously you think of something that smells good. And obviously the pastor says that Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we, as you look at this passage, hopefully will be convicted to say, we also, as Christ was a fragrant offering, we want to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Obviously, we can't be doing what Jesus did. You know, we cannot atone for someone else's sins. We cannot sacrifice a place for someone else for their sinfulness and take the punishment they deserve in that way. However, if we live a life of love, if we live a life that pleases God, if we live a life of worship, that is truly a fragrant offering to God. And I hope, I pray, that as we think about this passage, we go into the new year, we could say, Lord, this year, 2024, I want to walk in love. I want to be a fragrant offering to you as I bless others, right, in the horizontal sense, but as I worship you, obviously, in the vertical sense. So today, there's three points I want to make, uh, always is three, and it's the call to love, the reason and motivation to love, and the power to love, right? The call to love, the reason, the motivation to love, and the power to love. Now, let's think about the call. I'm sure we've heard this many, many times in our lives, but there is a call that as Christians we have to love. The passage literally says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So he says to imitate and he says to walk in love. That's, that's the command that we see. And obviously, verse 1 starts with therefore. Anytime you see therefore, it means think about what just came. What just came. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we just read about love. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be forgiving because God in Christ forgave you. And then... Right after that, Paul says, therefore, as you think about what I just said to you, be imitators of God. Now, what does it mean to imitate? You know, literally here, you know, if you translate to Greek, it means to mimic, right? It means to copy. Now, who do we imitate? Typically, we imitate people that we want to be like. We imitate people that we respect. Obviously, parents, will Im- well, not parents, obviously kids tend to imitate their parents, right? That's how you learn to walk, to talk, to different things. But as we get older, who do we imitate, right? If we are playing a, an instrument, right, a guitar or piano, we, we want to imitate somebody who's very good at it, right? If we want to imitate a sport, right? If we want to play basketball, football, baseball, whatever the sport is, we look at people who are very good at it and we want to imitate. And Paul says to imitate God. In what sense? in the sense of love, he's saying. He said, I just talked to you about being kind. I just talked to you about being tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving. What is all that? That's love. God is love. And he says, you, if you're a child of God, need to imitate him, and you also need to be loving. Then he says, imitate God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Think about the call here. He says, okay, imitate God in the way that he loved. And he says, imitate the Son of God, imitate Jesus. But how did Jesus love? He literally gave himself up. 
he literally sacrificed. He died on the cross for his people. This is a huge call. As a Christian, I think we have to realize that when we hear the word walk in love here, he's saying you have to be a love that's kind, a love that is compassionate, a love that is active, a love that is forgiving, a love that is giving, a love that sacrifices, a love that puts others before you at the cost of even your own life. This is the kind of love he's talking about. And then look at what he says. He says to walk in love. That's important. He doesn't say do somersaults in love do cartwheels in love, right? He doesn't say jump or run in love. Why? Because running, jumping, somersaults, what does all that require? It requires focus. It requires something I don't do normally, but now I have to focus to do it. But he says what? Walk in love. What does that mean? He's saying live a lifestyle of love. You know, I knew a brother in seminary, he was really mean, right? He was, he was, he was kind of mean. And sometimes, one time I said to him, you're mean. You know, you're, you're a jerk, right? Like, I said, and then I kind of said to him, what do you do at church? He goes, oh, I'm really nice at church. I was like, why? He goes, oh, when I go to church, I have to put my Sunday hat on, and I have to be very pastoral. So I said, that's so fake. He said, yeah, well, that's what I got to do. And the pastor asked me who that was. I probably won't tell them who that was. But... That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying be a certain way all week long, all the time, but every once in a while, right, do a somersault, you know, jump, run, and just kind of act like you're loving. He said, no, 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 walk in love. Live it out. Make it a lifestyle day in, day out, 24-7, 365. He's saying be like Christ and be loving. You know how challenging that is? Even as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a son, it's hard to always be loving, but that is the call. I think of Luke chapter 7, whenever I think about love a lot, and it's the story where Jesus, you know, he sees a widow who lost her only son, right? It's, it's really sad. She already lost her husband, and now she loses her only son, which means emotionally she's broken, but also financially, she would, you know, normally a woman during that time would obviously lean on her husband or her son for support. So financially, she's ruined. Emotionally, she's broken. And what does Jesus do? He, the Bible says he saw her first, then his heart went out to her, and then what does he do? He heals. He brings her son back to life. It's a miracle. But I think about those steps. What does love do? I see someone in need. I see how they're doing. I care enough to look, but also then my heart goes out to them, where I feel compassion, and then I don't stop there. Then it goes to the last part of actually saying, what can I do? When I see this word, walk in love, I think to myself, it's a call to look, to see how people are. Are they suffering? Are they struggling? What do they need? It's a call for our hearts to go out to them as Christ's heart goes out to us, and then it's a call to acts of kindness, to acts of love. Do I pray for you? Do you need help physically? Do you need help emotionally? Do you need help spiritually? How can I bless you? And obviously the cross is the ultimate example of that love. 
as you see our Savior dying on the cross for sinners like us, that kindness, that compassion, that forgiveness, and that act of love that just is incredible. And the call we have is to look to Christ and to love as Christ has loved us. That's literally what the verse says. And yet, it's so hard. I've heard, be loving my whole life as a kid. Love your sister, love your parents, love your friends, love this. As you get older, we keep hearing love, love, love. But if we're being honest, one, it's really hard to do. And secondly, a lot of times, we don't even want to love. We get tired of it. Maybe we say, oh, I love my family, you know, that, that makes sense. But everybody else, you know, do I really have to? Do I really have to love that annoying person over there? Do I really have to go out of my way for so-and-so? And we just don't want to love. And so we go to my second point here. Well, then, what is the reason and the motivation to love? Obviously, it's pretty obvious. Therefore, showing the before, why am I called to love? What is the reason as we look to Christ, to God? Right? Why should I be kind? Why should I be tenderhearted? Why should I forgive? Paul says it, because God in Christ forgave you. And then right here, we see it again in this passage, therefore be imitators of God. And then what does it say? As beloved children, another reminder, why should I love? Because I've been loved and I've been adopted and I am a beloved child of God. This sinner, child of wrath, has become a child of God. That's another reason he's given. And obviously verse 2, he says again, why do you love? Because Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Now, you've probably heard that many times, so let me kind of break it down a little bit more. When I think about how amazing God's love is, I want to think about a few things. The costliness of it, right? how undeserved we are, and the benefits of that love. Think about the costliness of that love. You know, for all of us, I'm pretty sure, when someone gives us something costly, whether it's financial or a great cost to them, how do we feel? We feel moved. We feel moved. I read a story about a little boy, and his sister had to have some kind of surgery, and she needed like a blood transfusion. And I think her blood was, you know, just the way it worked out, he had to give his blood to her for it to work out. And so in the story, they ask this little boy, you know, it's a true story, and they say, hey, would you mind, right? You know, giving a blood transfusion to your sister because she needs your blood to live. And this little boy, he kind of nods his head and he gets very quiet, but he says, okay. So then they're in the bed together and they did the whole blood transfusion. And, you know, it obviously it helps her and she's, you know, better. And then the boy asks the doctor, am I going to die now? And they're like, what? And this little boy literally thought what they were asking him to do was to give up his blood for his sister so she could live and that he would have to die for her to live. And he said yes to that. I remember I read that many years ago, and I was like, whoa, it moves me, right? Because you're thinking this little boy was willing to give up his own life. Obviously, he didn't, but he was willing to for the sake of his sister. When we know that someone has given up something for me, again, a lot of money, right, or something at great cost to them, maybe even their own life, what happens? It moves us because we know, wow, that love is real, that love is great, and what more 
amazing love is there that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we see this love, this love that motivates us, the, the why of why we should love. It's Christ's love. It's costly. But secondly, think about how undeserved we are. Think about that for a second. When you, when you love someone who deserves your love, it doesn't take much. If someone is good to me, it's easy for me to be good to you. Very simple. Right? If somebody gives you a nice gift, it's not that hard to give them a nice gift. If somebody treats you with kindness and compassion, it's not that hard to treat them with kindness and compassion. And obviously, if somebody's your family, even if they're not that great, you kind of feel like, oh, well, we're connected by blood. So you kind of feel a certain reason to do that. But when someone hates you, when someone hurts you, when someone is your enemy and always is provoking you and goes against you, it's really hard to love that person. If someone is your thorn in your side, it takes everything we have just not to hate them. It takes everything we have not to want to hurt them, not to want to be mean to them, but to call us to love someone who is difficult, who does not deserve it, somebody we want to disdain, that's so difficult. But if I know how undeserved I am and someone loves me anyway, if I've done nothing to hurt you, if I've done nothing to make but make you cry and you love me and you pour out your care into my life, it's moving. And we know none of us deserve God's love. We know, the Bible says, we fall short of his glory. We are sinners. We deserve nothing but condemnation. And yet, he chooses to love sinners like us. And that's, it's amazing. But let's think about the benefits of this love. You know, if somebody helps you get a job, you feel grateful. Right? If somebody gives you, I don't know, $100, again, you feel grateful. If somebody gives you a million dollars, the gratitude changes. You're like, wow. Again, if someone gives you a job, you're grateful. If someone rescued you out of prison, if someone frees you from, you know, some kind of real calamity and crisis, again, the amount changes. There's a movie that just, you know, that came out, I think it was earlier this year, called Son of Freedom. I haven't seen it yet, and I actually want to see it. It's about, it's about someone just rescuing trafficked kids, I was watching it, I mean, I was watching the trailer and thinking, oh, I want to see this movie. And I thought about that. Imagine I was enslaved. Imagine I was trapped. I had no hope. And somebody came and rescued me at risk to their own lives. How could that not move me? But that's the gospel. That's Christ's love. We're enslaved in our sin. We are hopeless, condemned. And God, the Father, sent his only son, Christ, willingly came into the world to take our place on the cross. And so now our benefit is our forgiveness, is eternal life, salvation. But also, as beloved children, our benefit is we are now adopted. We are children of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. You know, adoption, when, when I think about adoption, I think of little kids. That's what I think about. But if you study adoption, you know, in Paul's time, a lot of times the adoption 
was of a grown person, right? If I was rich and I was going to pass away and I had no heirs, I might adopt someone who was an adult, somebody I respected, someone that I cared about, perhaps, and I would say to them, hey, look, I have no heirs to leave my inheritance to, so I want to leave it to you. I want to adopt you. That's a great thing. So that means you get all the benefits of this rich person. You get their titles, or you get all of their finances, all of the blessings. We, sinners, because of Christ's work, yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're saved. But we become children of God. We who deserve nothing become joint heirs with Christ and enjoy all the riches of what it means to become children of God. It's amazing. So we look at this reason, this motivation to love as you look at the gospel. And then lastly, the power to love. But where do we, where do we get the power? How do I love someone when I don't want to love them? How do I actually get it into my system to say, I want to love you? And it's really a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural thing because really what changes our hearts, it's exactly this message. What changes my heart to love someone who's difficult to love? What changes my heart to forgive someone who I don't want to forgive? What changes my heart to want to be kind to someone who I don't think deserves my kindness is when I look upon, when I think about, when I meditate and chew upon this message of our Savior. It's a supernatural thing. Some people tell me, you know, Pastor, I don't think the gospel can move my heart. I don't think the gospel can change me. I think I'm too hardened. I think I'm too sinful. And I say, well, that makes no sense. Because if you're a Christian, that means the gospel has already changed you. God took a dead heart. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he has given you a new heart. You are a new creation. And so obviously that gospel still can work in your life today. And the power to love comes when we look at Christ, when we just really pour into our hearts, into our minds, this message that Christ loved us, that he gave himself up for us. And because he died on the cross, here's what I know, here's what you know. The kindness of Jesus, it humbles us because we know that I was, we were so bad, that we were so sinful, that we were so fallen and flawed that Jesus had to die for us. Right? That's what the gospel says, that I was so sinful, that I was so broken, that Jesus had to die for me. That humbles me. That humbles us. But here's the other thing. Not only does it humble us, the gospel amazes us and it affirms us, yet it also shows us how valuable we are, that Christ would choose to love and die for sinners such as us. My hope, my challenge to us is this. As we finish out 2023, as we go into the new year, 
Let's meditate on this. You know, we say Happy New Year. Well, let's be happy because of the gospel, because we are a new creation in Christ. Let's constantly remind ourselves that we have to be humble because we are so broken and so sinful that Jesus actually had to die for us. But let's rejoice and be affirmed and be ecstatic because we know no matter how sinful I was, I am so valuable to God that Christ would actually give up his own life, sacrifice himself for a sinner like me. And as we think about these things going into the new year, I pray, I trust that we would get the power and the motivation we need to love God and to love those around us as we walk in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your good. We praise you. And we worship you as we look at Christ, the fragrant offering, who sacrificed himself for us, his people. And we pray that we will be imitators of God, that we will look to Christ and that we will walk in love as we desire to be like Christ and to love as we have been so dearly and so deeply loved. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise as we worship.